singing, we've been talking about, we've been celebrating the greatest news that there is in the universe. It is that our Creator God reigns gloriously, and He reigns graciously, and He's made it possible for people like you and me, failures like us, rebels like us, to be adopted into His family, to know Him to know the forgiveness of sins, to know that we are right with him, to know that there is purpose and meaning in this world. We are not the products of chaos and chance, but our God reigns, and it is the greatest news that is going. It is the greatest news that could ever be talked about. It puts Brexit into a little cocked hat. It would make even the greatest discoveries of science and healthcare, it would put them into the shade. The fact that it is possible for people like us who have immortal souls to know the infinitely glorious God, this is the best news. And it is such good news, we want to share it. We want other people to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior because the Bible tells us we are dead, we are blind in our sins. And yet we want folks to know that Jesus Christ reigns, that he died for sinners, that there is hope. So what we are looking at this morning is God's mission strategy and our place in it. In fact, we'll be continuing it this evening. I'm going to be hoping that you will be with us. Let me see if we can sort anything out there. Let's take the jacket off. And that, is that better if we do this? Okay, but what we're talking about is the wonder of God's saving message. We're looking at how that is communicated throughout the world, how it's communicated throughout Edinburgh and Scotland and the UK and throughout this whole globe of ours. And the wonderful truth is this. When you come to the Bible, uh, you discover the Bible. It is one book. It has 66 books. There are 44 different authors. And yet that wonderful message is right from beginning to end. Let's go to that slide, please, David. Thank you. And there is one story. This story is all about the glory of God revealed through his saving work in Jesus. It is glorious. You find it right from the start there in Revelation. It goes uh, Genesis right to the end there in Revelation. In fact, this message not only embraces the whole of this word, this message embraces all of the world. It is not just a message for the few. This is a message that needs to go out to all folks. It doesn't matter from what particular land you may come. It doesn't matter about the color of your skin. It doesn't matter about your gender or your ethnicity or your educational attainments. This wonderful, great good news about God's saving plan extends to all the world. In Genesis 12, verse 3, right at the start, we read this, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the promise there to Abraham is that from Abraham's descendants will come the Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is for all peoples to know that. And when you go to the end of the Bible, to Revelation 7, verse 9, you have this wonderful summary declaration there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne of God and 
before the Lamb. This message is for the whole globe. It is for all peoples. And the way that message was communicated, the way that God's saving news was made known, it began like this. It's what I would call the come and see method. You, you see, the intention was come and see God as he is seen in his people. And so, as it were, come to Jerusalem and see him there, and there you will get an understanding of who he is and of his grace and of his mercy. So, for example, in Psalm 86, verse 9, it says, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. Isaiah 60, verse 3, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Isaiah 2, verse 3, Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. So generally speaking, the way that good news was communicated was through people coming and seeing. It was through the witness of the people of Israel, and it was particularly through the witness of the temple that was there in Jerusalem. There it was an amazing building. It was an amazing construction. They'd been building up to this for, for centuries. And there in the center of Jerusalem stood this vast temple complex at the center of which was this central building that housed the Holy of Holies. And a number of essential messages and truths about God was communicated in this way so that as people came and saw they understood certain things. First of all, they understood something about the holiness of God, that he is separate. This was quite evident through the whole way that everything was constructed in that temple area, even to the fact that there in that holy of holies, the, the place that symbolized the very presence of God, there was this massive thick curtain. They said it was about two handbreadths thick that separated the presence of God, the symbolic presence of God from the people, the holiness of God. He is separate. But there was something else there. It was the law of God. The law of God was contained uh, in uh, a book, in the tablets that were there in the Ark of the Covenant that was placed in the temple. The people knew these laws. They'd been written down for them. And the purpose of the law of God was to convict them of sin and failure and for them to realize that they needed the help of God, that there was no way that in their own efforts they could ever come to him, to know him. The law of God convicted them of the fact that they were sinners. But as they also came to the temple, there were the sacrifices. And, and there was... Uh, this way in which they were showing that God himself provides a way whereby sinners, people who failed, can know him. And of course the response of that was prayer and praise as the people gathered in the temple. It was not only to delight in the fact that this God who is holy and, and great has made a way to reconcile himself to sinners through sacrifice, they responded. And they responded with gratitude and they responded with praise. But of course, that temple was only temporary. In fact, it was uh, demolished, knocked down in 70 AD. The site is there, the temple no longer exists. But the same truths 
have been conveyed in a far greater way. For God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, came as the fulfillment for all the plans and promises made down through the centuries of time to be the saviour of sinners. And in one sense, you see, there on the cross, as God incarnate, Jesus Christ died, it was a revelation of how holy God is, how seriously God treats sin. That his one and only son should have to take it upon himself. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in the holiness of God. And you see, the law of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, was the only one who had ever obeyed and kept that law. The only one who was perfectly holy. The only one as the incarnate God who was able to die in the place of sinners. And he went to that cross. The final The perfect, the ultimate sacrifice. All the other sacrifices had just been pointing forward to this. They had to be repeated. And as the children of Israel and others who had gathered in that temple area looked at these sacrifices year after year, they were saying, when will that perfection come? And it came in Christ. God himself, God incarnate, dying for sinners, taking upon himself their sin. He, the one who was without sin, He, the one who perfectly obeyed God's law, he died in the place of sinners so that folks like you and I, our sins could be dealt with and we could be forgiven and we could be given a righteousness and an obedience that we could never earn ourselves. And and little wonder, therefore, the response of folks is prayer and praise. Just as there was prayer and praise in the temple as they anticipated God's sacrifice, now for all God's people. There is this prayer and praise and delight in all that God has done for us. You see, one of the problems we were facing as you go back to that temple was it began to lose its significance. See, temple worship uh, became perverted. Uh, It was no longer picturing what God intended. It began to turn in on itself So, for example, we have the story recorded for us in Mark's Gospel. It says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. You see, what was happening there in the court of the Gentiles, it was supposed to be the place that if you weren't an Israelite, you could come, you could see, you could look, you could understand something of God's grace, but they'd said, no, let's keep the Gentiles out. Let's use it for our trading. Let's use it to make money. It had become perverted. It had turned back in on itself. And in fact, 50 days... After Jesus died, 50 days after the Passover, there came another of the Jewish festivals when all the people would be gathered together. And something remarkable happened. We read this in Acts 2, verses 4 to 12. This is talking about the disciples. It says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. 
when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, that sort of thick northerners, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? You see, God did something. Temple worship was over. Jesus came and died. The Holy Spirit was given. And no longer was it come and see, but rather now it was go and disciple. You see, those who were there on the day of Pentecost heard this good news, and they stayed for a while, and they were discipled, but then they went back to their homes. They went back to those different language groups that are spoken of in that passage in Acts. In fact, if you want to check it up in a Bible map or something, you will see that it virtually represented the globe round about, and they went back. No longer is evangelism and spreading the message about come and see. But now it is about go and disciple. And so they went. And so that good news began to spread through the whole globe as people went and as they moved on and as they shared the good news about Jesus Christ. And could I say this? God gathers his people into local communities. We might call those communities churches. The word church just means those who gathered together, called out, called together. And God gathers his people into local communities. And each local community, as we read the Bible, should be, it should be three things. Number one, it should be attractional. Now, could I just say this is a, this is a small thing? This is not the major thing? Well, I mean by that, there is a sense of come and see. It works in two ways. In John's Gospel, it talks about the character of the lives of the people who come together. And in 1 Corinthians 14, it also speaks about the content of the teaching that is found when God's people do gather around the Word of God. So there is something that is happening when God's people gather. This should be something quite remarkable, which is for the praise of the glory of God, which is attractive. Oh, let's picture it in this way. This is what it would look like for Charlotte Chapel. Here we are. We are gathered here. We've come from different parts of the city and beyond. And part of what we do, if I could say it's not the main part of what we do as we gather as a church, we gather as a church to worship and to hear God's word. But one of the spin-offs, if I could put it in that way, is that as we meet here, as we interact with each other, as God's word is preached and taught, there is something about the good news of Jesus that is communicated. Can I just say, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we're really glad you're here. Really, really glad that you're here. Because we believe the good news about Jesus is the best news there is. And and maybe you being here, our hope, our prayer is that as you see people interacting in this church, you're going to say there's something different here. We live in a very fractured world. People are pretty nasty to each other, just need to look at social media these days and just wander in the streets. And, and we have so many divisions, so many fracture lines in our society, but there is something remarkable that as we gather together, those who love the Lord Jesus Christ should be bound together, dis- 
irrespective of what their political views may be or the color of their skin may be, Jesus breaks down all the barriers. And it's my prayer, if you're here and you're not a Christian, that someone's going to speak to you. And can I just say, Christian, if you're here, you know your priority is not to speak to your mates, first and foremost. Primarily, your responsibility is to speak to someone you don't know and just say, hi, we're glad you're here. It's what Christians do, or at least it's what Christians should do. There is that aspect of the character of their lives, but also as you're here, and as we look at the Bible, and as we work our way through the Bible, and as we seek to understand God's word, inevitably it's going to be speaking about Jesus, and you're going to hear about Jesus in the things that are preached. And we're also praying that if you're here and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that God, by his spirit, would just open your eyes and you'd see stuff you've never seen before. And that the wonder of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior would become apparent to you. So a byproduct of church is it will be attractional. But a major aspect of church is, secondly, it will be missional. It will be missional. And by that, I mean members showing and sharing Jesus where they live and where they work and where they study. The main work of gospel that goes on from Charlotte Chapel is not in the formal meetings we have there. They're important. It's great we can do leadership explored and Christianity explored and life explored and glad you asked and questions like that. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But the major gospel thing we do as members of Charlotte Chapel is to show and share Jesus wherever we are. And we're going to be looking at that specifically this evening. Look, I hope you're going to come this evening. I really do. There's some important things I want to share with you. And if you're not a regular attender at our 7 o'clock service, could I encourage you with all my heart to be there? Because there's stuff we need to be aware of. as what it means for us to be missional. Um, let's look at it in this way. Let's, let, let's describe it. In fact, you see, Charlotte Chapel should not be a case of the gospel happening from a building. Charlotte Chapel is people going out into the communities wherever they are. You, you may not live in the middle of the fourth, but never mind, you understand the graphic there. Uh, wherever we are, wherever we're working, wherever we're studying, we are placed there by God for the glory of God to share and to show Jesus. And we'll talk about that this evening. But then the third thing I notice about church is that we should be cross-cultural. We should be cross-cultural. This is the biblical pattern. This, in fact, is why we were reading from Acts 13. We are not just the sent, we are also the senders. And as a church, we have a responsibility not only to Edinburgh, not only to Scotland, not only to the UK, but we have a responsibility to those parts of the world where Jesus Christ is not known. And I think four things need to be said about that. Number one, it needs to be intentional. And we seek to be intentional as a church here with our mission, with getting the good news of Jesus across. Uh, it means that, for example, we're, we, we have a policy and we're working and developing and amending our policy just to try and keep in line with best practice and the best ways forward. We have a policy. We have a team, a large team, who in various groups are working together for this. It's what we do as church. And it will be strategic. You see, our intention as a church is that we reach unreached people groups and that, that what we send there, they are going to be multiplying groups. If we could have that next head up, that's great. 
That's what we're about. We're going to be strategic. We want to particularly reach unreached people groups. And then we want to be proactive in what we do. That means we're going to be a church who recruits and trains and sends folks to go and take the good news of Jesus Christ into regions where he has not been heard. And uh, you never know. You, you may say, well, I think God maybe is leading us in that way. Well, let, we want to talk to you. We want to share uh, with you. And, and could I just say, we see our responsibility as a church. It's not just to wait till someone comes to us. We're actually actively on the lookout for people who have been appropriately gifted and called to do that. We are a missional church. We are a sending church. We will recruit. When we've met someone who we believe God's hand is upon, we will train them. We will walk through them in that journey. And we will then send them to that area of the world where their gifts will be most effectively used. And we will be supportive in that. We will pray for our workers. It was so exciting. I don't know if you were here before the service began. We don't necessarily take that for granted with the congregation, whole congregation here. But if you were here before the service started, you'd have seen that there was a very long slideshow going on, which was workers who have been sent out and supported by Charlotte Chapel. It was very moving to see. And we have a responsibility. We print literature. There's uh, our online missions magazine that you can obtain for us so that you can pray through the workers we send. We want you to be involved in that. We're going to pray for them and we finance them. We believe that should come out of our general fund. And so out of our general fund, our general fund here at this church, the money that the members give here, a large chunk of that goes to the support of those who we have sent to different areas of the world. And not only do we just say, well, goodbye and God bless you. We want to be have an ongoing care and concern for them. There will be pastoral care in what we do. That is what we are about. We believe we should be a proper cross-cultural church. And as I said, the passage we read from Acts 13, let me just give you a quick breakdown of that uh, passage there in Acts 13, 1 to 12, where you see the whole church is sending out Barnabas and Paul. You see, that church at Antioch, it was a seeking church, and it was a submissive church, and it was a spiritual church. It was a sacrificial church. Forgive me for the alliteration, but this is the sort of people they were. The sort of people we should be. Just read Acts 13. You can work out why these headings are there. And then they called people like Paul and Barnabas. Why? Because they were proven people and prepared people and partnering people and persevering people and perceptive people. We believe that there are particular people that God calls by his grace and we're going to be looking out for them. Those are the folks that we want to work with. And what's the result of that? Well, if we go to the next slide, this is just some of those that here at Charlotte Chapel we've been engaged in, in sending overseas. There are many more, but this just gives some illustration of how we are seeking to be a church that loves the good news of Jesus Christ and is faithful to his word. It is what we must be about. I was saying yesterday afternoon as we gathered to hear some missionary reports and I had the opportunity to give a closing word. My friends, Mission Sunday is not a sideshow. It's not just a department of church life. It is what church life is about. Church life is about the good news of Jesus Christ. Church life is about making him known. Praise God we send others out. 
final slide is this, Christian. The question is not if God has sent you on mission, but where. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, understand this, mission is not just for those special people, like the Peters of this world. And you say, wow, what a, what a superhero. No, sorry folks, every single one of us is called to be on mission. It may be that God is calling you for where you live, where you shop, where you study. It's calling you to be a missionary in the sports club and the Amdram club and your reading club. It's calling you to live for Christ in every area of your life. Live under his lordship and may his beauty and grace and mercy be seen in you. And may you have opportunity to speak and give testimony to what it is that makes you tick. The question is not if God has sent you on mission, but where. Some of you have been sent to your workplace. Others God could well be calling to send to somewhere thousands and thousands of miles away where they have never heard of Jesus. This is what we are about as a church. This is God's mission, and he includes us in that. Let's pray.